Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So how do you look at this race season? as the best of their history with 100 wins in the regular season, set a record for the club, or as a huge disappointment because a team with all the expectations as back-to-back AL East champions and the best record in the American League just fell to the Boston Red Sox three games to one in the ALDS. Wow. Uh, this was a tough one, Steve Versnick. Um, the Rays will have all offseason to dissect it, but um, it certainly didn't go well. Really, after they took a 5-2 to two lead in Game 2 um, at home in, in St. Petersburg in Tropicana Field, pretty much the Red Sox owned them after that. And this final game, they fought. They had a chance right up until, I mean, they fall behind 5 to nothing. They fat, fight back to tie it in the 8th. Uh, and then lose it again in a walk-off, this time a sack fly by Kiki Hernandez, and they lose 6-5. to five. Ball game over. Worse yet, season over. Um, they're going to spend a lot of time in the offseason dissecting this one. We're going to dive into it a little bit. But there's, well, but, there's, but there's I'm going to take exception here. to one thing you said there. Sure. And, and, and we've talked before the series. We talked throughout the series, and we were talking before the podcast tonight. And you said that, you know, after the 5-2, the Red Sox pretty much owned them. Except game three was 6-4 to four and went to 13 innings. Game four, they were down 5 nothing, but came back to tie it. Lost it in a walk-off in the ninth. You know, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, yeah, game two was awful after they had the 5-2 lead. Mm-hmm. And, and as poorly as the Rays played, uh, particularly offensively, I mean, instead of one player showing up this postseason, two did. Maybe right. maybe, maybe three maybe if you count three, Jordan Luplo, who played you know. two games, but he he showed up. I'll even give you a half in Kevin Kiermaier, who the last two nights in Boston mm-hmm. did some nice things. Yes. You know, but the this the best offense in race history didn't show up. The pitching looked overmatched at times. I don't know if it's youth, I don't know if it's experience. But yet they were still in three of the four games. Somehow, some way. It doesn't, and I'm not saying that's for a moral victory or silver lining, but, and I don't know what it's going to take for them to get over the hump. I mean, you know, last year they made the World Series. I guess, you know, there's no shame in that at all. You know, you finished, you know, the team that had the better record than you last year is the one who knocked you out. But in this series, I mean, the hitting, it, it's you look at the stats and it's it's staggering. You know, Boston had nine hitters with fifteen or more at bats in this series. Eight of them hit three hundred or higher. The Rays, two players hit three hundred or higher. Wander mm-hmm. Franco and Randy Rosarina. Yeah, and only one other hit above two fifty that had any decent amount of play. No. 
Everybody else was below 222 until you get to G-Man Choi and Jordan Luplo each had seven at-bats. Yeah. Well, I mean, we knew, look, we knew the Red Sox had one of the best, most potent lineups in baseball, mm-hmm. okay? Um, what's happened two years now in a row, um, and I think they got much better offensively this year. Obviously, mm-hmm. the, the, the numbers would show that. Um, but the, the one constant is when they get to the postseason, their best players don't always play the best. Now, I think they did in this case, certainly um, – you know, with Randy Rosarina and Wander Franco, who was just tremendous. Another two-run home run in the sixth. In four games, he was 7 of 19 with two homers, four RBIs, and five runs. He had three multi-hit games. There's your rookie, okay, superstar, shortstop in his first postseason experience. The other guy, of course, we know, Senor October, um, got another, you know, big, huge hit as they came back down 5-0. to zero, and, and he played really, really well. And then Kevin Kiermeyer, the last couple nights, um, had three doubles and and um, you know and played really well. Uh, Rosarina, I think, um, you know, I mean, he had he had a couple singles in an RBI and went two for four. So, uh, but outside of those guys, and and look, um, you know, I'll start with Brandon Lau. Uh, you know, Ooh. I mean, the guy is Mister Ofer October. Okay, not Mister October, Mister Ofer October. Um, he could not hit his way or swing his way out of a paper bag these last two postseasons. And and you've made this point. It's one thing to say, I'm sticking with my guy. He hit 39 bombs. He drove in 99 runs. Um, we've, we've rode him all year. Uh, I, I got to believe he'll come out. Of, I got to show confidence in him. That's fine. Put him in the lineup, maybe. But you know what? You don't have to bat him third against a lefty, which against all lefties this season, even as well as he hit, he batted under 200 against for the season, okay? So now in the ALDS, after he is, you know, taking the, the pipe here that, um, you know, you're, you're going to go ahead and bat him third in the lineup. And, oh, yeah, he came up in critical, critical situations like tie game, runner at second, uh, one out, and hits a weak dribbler back to the mound. So that was questionable. Um, if you want to talk about pitching, and look, I think when when this is all said and done, you know, this was a raised team that tried during the season to find some veterans, right? But they they made the conscious decision to trade Blake Snell. Um, you know, they they got in trouble obviously with the injury to Tyler Glass now that that wasn't preferred. But they went away from some of their veteran pitchers like Charlie Morton, who they allowed to sign, you know, with the Atlanta Braves for 15 million dollars. Didn't want to pay him. Okay. And then you went out and you go, well, you know, maybe Rich Hill, maybe Michael Walker, maybe Chris Archer, maybe you know, maybe we'll we'll piece it together with some of these veterans and somebody will something will stick, something will catch fire. In the meantime, we'll be developing our young guys like Shane McClanahan, um, you know, ultimately uh, you know, you try to get Luis Patino developed, you you know, you tried some other things with some of the younger pitchers. You end up going with a Shane Boz who had had all of three major league games in the last, what, week and a half of the season. Um, he was your game two starter. We never saw him again, by the way. Um, you know, so, so you, went with, you went with a young talent over anything else because you simply didn't have it. Uh, and that wound up getting you, you know, because, I mean, we know the Red Sox can hit, but, but the Rays did not pitch well in this series. And if they were known for anything, it was pitching in defense, Okay. So then we go to the defensive side of things. And look, when you get into the late innings, 
I'm sort of all for, you know, let's let's put our best players out there to play defense. Yeah, you might sacrifice a little bit at the plate. Um, you know, Yandy Diaz has played okay at times at third, some some nights better than others. He's a good third baseman. He's good. See, I I think he's below average myself, but you, okay, if you want to I mean, give him good, I'll good, give him good. Which I say average. I mean, okay. I, I, I think he's below. But okay. that's Okay. But I but I've seen him have I've seen him have to your point. I've seen him have really good games. Like I've seen him make plays. Um I've also seen him, you know, do the, you know, quintessential like like in this game, you know, he didn't just worm burn one across the diamond. I mean, he hit the front side of the mound. Uh about a four, you know, four dribbler over there to first. But when you get late in the game and you know, it wasn't like he's one of the guys we've been talking about whose bat was blistering in his postseason. It wasn't, okay? Yandy Diaz did very little. Two hundred, three for fifteen. Yeah, which is not good. Okay, so you get into an inning, you know, where you have to have a shutdown inning. It's obviously you're on the road. Um, score is tied. Where's Joey Wendell? I mean, where's where's your guy that's one of the best defensive players that you have on your club? Um, if you're not going to use him as a bat, and certainly you know you could have found a way to get his bat in the lineup. Uh, I don't know what do you have four at bats or something like that in yep. the series. Yep, played in two but, games. But but why is he not at third base in the late innings? So what happens in in the bottom of the ninth? You know, you have a ball that was hit hard to third. That I look, Yandy would have had to make a miraculous play. But I'm not sure Wendell doesn't make it. But okay, that one goes in for a hit. But then later in the inning, um, you have a fairly routine ground ball that, you know. He worm hops the first, and G-Man Choi can't come up with, and now all of a sudden you're in trouble, right? And where is Wendell? Sitting on the bench with his glove. Um, doesn't make sense to me. Like, you know, is there a drop-off offensively? And, and at this point, by the way, the Red Sox have gone to their right-handed bullpen. I mean, they don't have a left-hander out there. So, you know, you're not even putting Wendell in a bad spot offensively if he has to come up and hit. There's just, you know, and and then the other thing is, like, how many at-bats did Austin Meadows have in this series? Seven. Or nine. I'm sorry. Nine. Nine at-bats. One of them was a 17-pitch at-bat, by the way, mm-hmm. um, which all but got, you know, their starter out of the game. He wound up striking out in that at-bat. But he did drive in the first run of this game for the Rays, mm-hmm. and, and he drove in over, you know, 100 during the season. But you go through a series where your your number one RBI guy – doesn't really get to swing it very much. I mean, you never Grant, you never know how a series is going to play out when you start a series and you're making out your roster. But if you were going to play like Joey Wendell that little, then why isn't Taylor Walls up here to be a defensive absolutely stopper? I mean, if you're not going to use Wendell's bat, and it was it seemed obvious that they don't have a lot of confidence in his bat at this point, based on no. some opportunities, I think they could have pinch hit pinch hit him or put him in for defensive purposes, and they didn't. Right, you know. So why is he on the roster then? Well, he was an all star. Yeah, I think he should be. I'm saying I think he should be. But if you were going to use him that little, yeah, then he shouldn't even be on it at all. Then give me Taylor Walls, who can play defense at second, short, or third. At least there's a role, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's a the value, and he's a switch hitter. So if you want to, you know, you know, not that they have a lot of confidence in his bat at this point, right? You know, and he's young. It doesn't mean it won't in his future, but just at this point, he's not ready for that, right? There's a, there's a lot of uh, and and I don't scratch my head at a lot of decisions the Rays make. I, I just 
you can disagree with them, but I understand them. I don't understand some of the decisions that were made in the series, and that's what's perplexing to me. Not that they, I mean, they lost. It stinks, and you know, such a great season, and you know, the best you know franchise record, one hundred wins, the best offense ever, run production, you know, all that stuff, and and to lose in four games in the ALDS stinks. But I usually don't walk away from decisions and head scratch. I mean, you know, like we talked about the other night in game two, particularly, you know, you get that five, two lead. Why isn't your best pitchers out there on the mound? Worry about, you know, worry about game three and game three. Don't have Kevin cash post game going, well, you know, at least we saved everybody for game three. Yeah. That's the, see that mentality right there got to me. And, and, and I think you mentioned it at the time too. It was like, you know, wait a minute, you, you know, you're in a game with Shane Boz as your starter. You, you know, it's a, it, and I think John Smoltz put it on the head. He goes, look, it, this kid is in command. I watched him pitch. He has all the greatest stuff in the world. I'm just here to tell you, and I pitched a lot of postseason games, even for me with my experience, until you're out there in the postseason and you can't, and you get those first couple outs and settle down, mm-hmm. he goes, you really don't know how you're going to react. Mm-hmm. So what does Boz do? Four pitch walk to start his postseason. Okay. So, you know, he, he, he gives up uh, a couple runs. But even then, you know, you, you get a, a grand slam and you're up 5-2. to two. At that point, you manage that game like there is no tomorrow. Because you know why? If you beat the Red Sox right there and you had all the momentum in the world at home, I mean, that place was ready, the roof was ready to come off. If you manage that game and win that game, it's, you, you know, they're down – they're down 0-2, and you know at minimum you're coming back to the trop even if you drop the next two in Boston. So to me, those five-game series, it's so fast. It's so quick. Um, I think they lost an opportunity there. And, and you know, and, and think it, it also, what's weird is, like, they had the lowest ERA, I think, in the American League this year, um, in, in large part because of the bullpen. But it's just different, man, when you get in the postseason because you're facing the best teams in baseball. You're facing the best lineup every single night. It's the best hitters. It's the best matchups against your your pitchers. And it's not like you can, you know, run Lewis Head in and out of Durham 13 times, you know, and pitching an inning here against the Baltimore Orioles or there against the Detroit Tigers. I mean, every single night you're facing, you know, studs because you're, you're just down to that few teams. Um, and so what works for whatever reason in the regular season this year with, with just, you know, managing these innings and no real starters and, you know, eventually you end up, you know, with McClanahan and that sort of thing. Um, and you decide to go with the young guys, but nobody in the bullpen at that point was doing very well. The final thing I would say is as far as like this final game goes. So you start McHugh, who's used to coming out of the bullpen, but then when he's done, you bring in Shane McClanahan, who hasn't been out, come out of the bullpen pretty much all year. And, in fact, he started game one and threw five shutout innings. Why would you not reverse that if you're going to use McClanahan in this game anyway? It, that doesn't make sense to me. Because I just think it's different in well, the postseason when you haven't pitched out of the bullpen all year. My guess is, and, and this is you know just guessing what their thought was, start McHugh two, three, whatever innings you think you're going to get out of them. And let's see where the game's at. Do we have a lead? Are we behind? Is it tied? 
Because so if I, you're I, way ahead, maybe you don't want to tap into well, Shane just yet. Maybe you might because want to you want him for the next game. You might want to be, you know, game five. You yeah. worried about game five at that point? Well, you know, I think it depends. I mean, if it's you know you're up six nothing in the you know second or yeah, third. I mean, inning, if you could, yeah, if you jump out you know, on somebody like and that, and it's sure. not saying it's not necessarily saving for the fifth, but maybe you're saving him for later in the game if it gets tighter. You know, it's not necessarily. You know, I, I'm just guessing what their thought process was on it. No, I think they were trying to. I think they were doing exactly what you said. I think that they started a column Q, and they wanted to see how things went. He threw 18 pitches. Um, had they jumped out to a huge lead, maybe they leave him in there. Maybe they bring somebody else that's not quite as good as Shane McClanahan. But you know what? When they fell behind, and he was the reason they fell behind, he only pitched two thirds of an innings. Oh yeah, he gave up all five of the first five runs, all earned. They were hitting bombs off the Green Monster over the center field fence. Like, he got absolutely shelled. Before they could get him out of there, he had given up five runs. And you're down five to nothing. That's a big mountain to climb on the road, Mm -hmm. even in that band box. And they did it. That's the sad thing is they managed to climb all the way back and had a runner at second base, the go-ahead run, with one out and couldn't get him over, couldn't get him in. Um, Just tremendously disappointing. And, and kudos to the Red Sox, because first of all, I think Alex Cora managed a great series. I think, you know, pulling sale as early as he did in game two, putting Tanner Houck in, who just mowed through the lineup. Yeah. But their hitters were scorching hot this series. Oh, no question. I mean, the fact that, uh, you know, outside game two where you, you know, gave up the 14 spot, you they didn't score. I mean, when you look at their some of their stats, you're like, how how did you stay in three of those four games? You know, you shut him out the first game. So, right. you know, I mean, this, you know, Kike Hernandez is just, you know, on fire and Raphael Devers. And like I said, their whole lineup's batting 300 or higher in the series. But, four yeah, games. But it's a short, it's a small sample size. And but, who are they hitting off of? Well, sure. That's part of it, too. Absolutely. You know, let's see what they do against the Houston Astros or the Chicago White Sox pitching. I'm not saying they're a bad lineup because they're not. Obviously, they're a good lineup, but. You know, I, I, I think, think they're, they're a good lineup. But I think they're red hot right now too. I mean, you hit a team that's just just fueling off each other. Yeah. And, well, you know, and that, that you know, was the race for most of the season until yeah. they get to the postseason, and then something magically happens where guys like Mike Zanino, okay, although he did finally have a double in this game that was huge. Um, you know, he 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 suddenly can't hit, and obviously we mentioned Brendan Lau. And Bre- Brendan Lau for the past two postseasons is batting 0.95. Woof. If you combine them. He has 37 strikeouts and nine hits in the last two postseasons. Serious question. Serious question. Okay. Because you don't just manage for October. Because mm-hmm. most of the time teams don't make it to October. But would you take Based on these last two postseasons, would you take Brandon Lau and put him on the market and say, mm-hmm. "Who wants him, folks? Well, we're I, done. We're I would. Done. I would because of. I would say for two reasons: Taylor Walls, Fidel Brujan. Okay, I mean those are your infielders of the future. Yeah. I mean, and here's, here's I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, Joey Wendell, Yandy Diaz, Brandon Lau—they're all on the market. I mean, I think the Rays, oh, yeah, put, no. Rays put most of their players on the market every year. I mean, well, hell, you know, everybody the, the, but Wander Franco's probably on the market, yeah. and Rosarena might I mean, be too. The, well, but look, is, do I believe Wander Franco? Would they trade Wander Franco? 
the price would be so astronomically high, no one would give it up. But do they have a price probably set for that? Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way they do business. Yes, Brendan. I you know I I believe Brendan Lau was he probably was on the market this year. Probably was. I don't think he helped himself with you know, he his might, trade value. They might have traded him at the trade deadline, except the first half of the season, the you know, first month, month and a half, he stunk. He now, you yeah. know, he had a really good season. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a really good player. And he's good defensively. And, yeah. You know, and I, I, don't think, I don't think he's on the trade market because of the last two postseasons. I think it's because they've got guys that they think in the farm system that are going to be better overall. Yeah. You know, just like, I, I mean, the reason they traded Willie Adamas was Taylor Walls and Wander Franco. Yeah, they were dealing from strength, and they still would be with Bruhan, mm-hmm. like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, I mean, all of that aside, even if I didn't have a guy, my my trust in this dude, if I make it back to the postseason, which is my only goal, my trust is eroded to the point where and you're like, well, he's still a young player. He's still, you know, what if, well, you know, give him another chance. But the other thing is they don't have a lot of left-handed bats at this point. No, they don't. I mean, right. you got you got Meadows. I mean, Franco's a, a switch hitter, but he's better from the right side than the left at this point in his career. You know, Cruz is a righty, although I mean, he's a free agent. Rosarina's a righty. Nelson you know. Cruz, by the way, there's a guy. You know, they 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 bought they they brought him in, made the deal, and and you know. He helped him for a short period. Then his bat mm-hmm. seemed to slow down. And, boy, you talk about he came up in big moments in this series, too. Did not deliver at all. He had opportunities to, to fulfill, you mm-hmm. know, the reason they traded for him as well. So, the you know, it's the old, you know, look, uh, failure is an orphan and, you know, mm-hmm. victory is. Well, in, in, in this postseason, you know, last season I think is a more indication like Brendan Lau struggles. I mean, this this was four games. I mean, players can go through a four-game slump easy. Oh, come on now. No. Okay, let me ask but, you. If he'd, played, if he'd have played six more games, are you confident he'd have come out of it? No, not the way he was looking. I've seen that look. No, 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 not the way he was looking. But what I'm saying is, you know, four games to go through a slump happens. Last season when he, you know, threw 20 games or whatever it was in the postseason. Yeah. And then you add this one on to it, you start going, woof. Right, and I mean, just the way I mean, just the well, way he looked at the plate. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, he eighteen at bats, nine of them strikeouts, and did that's not walk, I mean. and I mean, did not walk once. He was not he was not seeing the no. ball. He didn't know whether he swung at balls and, and yeah. took strikes. I mean, that's what you do when you're scuffling. You don't you yeah. don't you second guess every everything which is, you look at. Which is why I didn't understand if you're going to leave him in the lineup tonight for Game Four. I get it, but why wasn't Meadows batting third and Lau seventh? No, no reason. And and There's... I was I was having a debate with Mike, who's a buddy of mine, who's a frequent listener. And he said, "Well, you know, you can't rock his confidence, you know, by moving him down the order." I said, "The Rays do it all the time, just like yeah, the they... pitching staff, where sometimes you'll pitch the third inning, the next night you're pitching the eighth inning. Right. They move players up and down the order all all the time, based on right. you know, to take the pressure off or to just get you a different look or." Get you different protection or whatever it is. I mean, they do it all the time. I I didn't understand. Like I said, I, this series is perplexing to me because I usually don't second guess the Rays' decisions as much. Right. I mean, I guess not second guess, but I it just it, it it just seems perplexing. Like I, it seemed natural that you would have moved Lau down, swapped Meadows was batting seventh, Lau was batting third. Well, those are the two lefties. It seemed easy that you could have switched those. Yeah. 
And, and, and it, it, it would have, to me, made the most sense. But they didn't. Even, even in the regular season when Brendan Lau was swinging a hot bat, okay, mm-hmm. he still batted under 200 against left-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you don't need an excuse to drop him in the lineup against a left-hander. No. The excuse is he doesn't hit left-handers. <laughs> I mean, period. You know? So especially in the postseason when, when you, you, know, you can read the body language, you can see all that. Um, pressure does a funny thing, man. Mm-hmm. You know? It'll expose you or you'll get exposed. And for two postseasons now, Brandon Lau has a thing about the postseason. He presses. He grips the bat like it's going to become turn into sawdust. Um, and, and he fails, and he fails miserably in big moments. And for that reason alone, you know, all the other reasons still exist, but for that reason alone, I would consider, you know, finding, finding another place for him and seeing what I could get for him. Because I just, I don't want to go. I have no confidence in a third postseason with this guy that he's suddenly going to, you know, suddenly he's going to relax and start hitting again. Um, and that's a terrible thing to say because you know he's only he's played in two, right? But this might go down. Look, we don't. And the the thing is, is that the Rays aren't going to reinvent themselves. They're not going to suddenly, you know, go out and sign a bunch of Charlie Mortons and and, and different veterans and make themselves a, you know, a staff that can compete with I don't know the Yankees or you know, the Houston Astros or the White Sox. They're going to continue to develop young pitchers. There's plenty of mm-hmm. them on the farm. A lot of them got experience this year. You could say, you know, their future is so bright, they got to wear shades, all that stuff, whatever. Um, it seems like the younger guys are the way to go just because they've invested so much in them, including mm-hmm. this postseason. So all that's good, well, right? Maybe you, you know, but, I'll be curious at what they do with pitching because you know you're not going to have Glass now next year. No, he's got Tommy John. So yeah. – Yes, McClanahan will be another year older. Shane Boz presumably will be starting. Patino. Patino will be another, you know. But they may look at this and say, you know what? We still need some veteran pitchers. We, st- You know, is it going to be Charlie Morton at $15 million or a pitcher like that? Maybe not quite that. Right. You know, Should've are they going to try to find more Wakas or Archers or Hills and Ugh. hope it works out? I mean, you know, Rich Hill the first month or two was pretty good. Then he started to – to kind of decline and it kind of went south from there. Waka at times looked okay, um, you know. But it'll be interesting what they do with the pitching staff because last year they were heavy with starters, and it got them to the World Series. You know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of payroll with it too, particularly Charlie Morton. This year they went with the young guys, and, and you know the Glassdale injury, of course, hurt. I mean, you know, if he was healthy, who knows what what the postseason would have looked like. Yeah. You know, just having that one guy that you could rely on to go out there for five or six innings and, and probably have you a lead or, you know, not not behind significantly where you're playing catch up, you know, you hope at least, it could have changed things drastically. Right. You know? and, and, so you know, can McClanahan take that next step next year? Can Shane Boz? Can Luis Patino? Is Drew Rasmussen going to continue to develop into into a starter? It'll be interesting. I, you know, I, I, I look at this race team as, look, it was a tremendous season. There's a lot of good things. I think the offense was was really good. I think you've seen, you know, Wander Franco come up and and, and develop. You've seen Randy Rosarina put a full season together that was really good. I mean, he did rookie the postseason year. last year. He's rookie yeah. of the year. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of good things, but I, the pitching was just too young. They just didn't yep. have enough experience, 
They couldn't get that veteran, yeah. like you mentioned. It was, I mean, it wasn't for a lack of trying. They did the mm-hmm. Rich Hill thing. They did the Chris Archer thing. They did the Michael Walker thing. None of it worked. Mm-hmm. They couldn't find anybody better. So they said, you know what? Let's do the Nespix thing. Let's get these young kids who we know are talented. Let's give them the innings. Yep. Let's let mm-hmm. let's let them develop. And it may pay know? off for next year or the year after. We'll it see. May. It may. I mean, some of these guys now have postseason experience. That's not a small thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's quite a parallel to this, but I mean, you know, not too many years ago, the Tampa Bay Lightning won the most games in hockey and wound up dropping four in a row to Columbus, but it made them remake their team in such a way that they've gone back-to-back with Stanley Cup titles, and they're opening tonight trying to win their third in a row. Um, so, you know, out of out of defeat, you know, there can be some answers. But mm-hmm. it's up to the Rays to find them. And most teams, most teams that achieve the ultimate success have failures along the way. No doubt. You know. Now, whether the most, Rays can turn people. this into to one that, that goes all the way, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah. Well, the difficult thing is the uncertainty of the franchise, right? I mean, you've, you've got the whole, you know, we want to play in two cities thing, um, you, you know, payroll, who's going to stay. They seem to remake themselves every single year. We know they've got two, you know, really, really popular and one homegrown product and Wander Franco, Randy Rosarina, or these guys are going to be able to hang on to under the current situation or ownership. I mean, there's there's a lot of questions about the franchise stability and the whole deal. Um, I have no question that they're going to have another great team next year, that they're going to compete for another AL East title. And, you know, right now they've won it back-to-back, which is not easy to do. There was no. a lot of good teams in that division, mm-hmm. including the Red Sox, who came out of nowhere, by the way. I mean, Joey Cora got suspended a year, you know, caught up in, in a lot of the Houston mess and whatnot. And at the beginning of spring training, no one was picking the Baltimore or the Baltimore Orioles. Nobody was picking the Red Sox. No, nobody Probably was picking finish. the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> they were picking them either, but uh, but they weren't picking the Red Sox much higher than the Orioles. You know, I mean, it was you know it was supposed to be Toronto. It was supposed to be the Yankees. It was supposed to be the Rays. Um, and then maybe you get down to Boston and then Baltimore. But you got a hundred you know, wins in a division that had four teams winning ninety games. Yeah, amazing. Totally amazing. And the difference between the Rays and those other teams was the fact that they beat the Baltimore Orioles 18 out of 19. That was the difference. That Mm -hmm. was their edge. That's the entire season. The one thing the Rays did well this year, and it's undeniable, it might have something to do with why they lost in this series, but the one thing they did well this year was they beat the teams they were supposed to beat, Mm -hmm. and they beat them consistently. You know, if they were playing the Twins or they were playing some of the bottom feeders in, in, uh, in baseball, they took care of those guys. Every single time. Yeah, it seemed like the only team they really struggled with this year was the Mariners, who turned out to be one game okay. away from making the wild yeah. card or you know, forcing a game one sixty three. Yeah. I mean, you know, they at the time they weren't as, as good as they were, but it turns out they were a very good team. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, um they did a nice job with that. You know, taking care of the, mm-hmm. the teams they were supposed to take care of, but you're again um, you know, it's it's a difficult season to, to end it. You know, Kevin Kiermaier, it was, and look, you're kind of sentimental when these things end quickly like they do. It's just, you know, you're not prepared to say, well, I just spent six months and this thing is over right now. Yeah, you write the victory speeches ahead of time. You don't write the concession. Ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he was in, you know, he was in the media room and they were talking to him. It's like, how do you feel about the way the season ended? And he, and he wasn't that upset. I mean, not that he wasn't upset, but he was like, no, I think it was, you know, it was a great year and 
and guys are in there hugging each other and we really you know it's it historic and you know that what we did this year was so special even though it didn't finish where we wanted so like wait 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 what let's go back to that even though part you know what i mean because yeah you guys did some special things and then you did no special things um in the postseason and that's what that's what the special things are supposed to lead to um only one team can win and everyone else goes home disappointed i get all of that but man when you have a historic season and win 100 for the tampa bay rays and back-to-back al east titles and have home field advantage which is supposed to count for something in the in the playoffs um that's just a great opportunity lost and as john romano pointed out he asked I think he asked Kiermaier this question. He goes, you know, the last couple years, including when they went to the World Series and lost to the Dodgers in six, even when that series ended, you kind of walked away from it going, yeah, you know what? They got about all they could out of that team. I mean, they they went a long way. That's a hell of an effort. You know, and it's unfortunate they didn't win it, but, man, you know, I don't know how much more they could have squeezed out of that team. This year, that's not the feeling. The feeling this year is, I mean, you guys left a lot of meat on the bone here. You were supposed to go a hell of a lot further. It feels like this, this season should not have ended this way, which is a good thing in some respects that you have those expectations and, mm-hmm. you know, you're not the underdog anymore. You know, always before is, oh, look at the Q Rays. Oh, they, they, they're such an underdog. Isn't it great? This year you were kind of like, no, nah, man, they may win the World Series. Like That's the best team in the American League right there. Those dudes are good. And then you still come out of it and get beat, you know, three out of four to the Red Sox. It's just, um, it's not the same feeling. It's not that, to me, I would disagree with Kiermaier. It's not that feeling of, wow, what a special group we had. It'd be more like, wow, we did really well in the preseason and then, or, or regular season. And then once again, we just laid an egg right here. Well, I think the, the opponent is part of that too. No question. I mean, two years ago, you know, you lost to what, the Astros? Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 it stunk in that, and and you know, this that was they kind cheated. of the, the beginning. Well, they probably <laughs> did. Um, you got yeah. the uh, White Sox players kind of hinting at that still. That it's amazing how many swings and misses they get on the road compared to home. But yeah, saying that's something. Um, you know, but it's the Astros, not a division foe. It's not someone you've been battling with and have a rivalry with. Yeah, you know, for a dozen years at this point. And last year's the Dodgers, obviously National League team. You know, it's not that, but to lose to the Red Sox, I think, adds to that too, where you think you left meat on the bone because you you beat them what eleven out of nineteen this season, eleven out of nineteen, yeah. Division foe, you know them well. It, it just adds to the sting of it. And man, they barely, barely got into the wild card. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the other thing. Um, Although you know, you could argue they were playing playoff baseball up to the last game of the season. Well, and that that might have had and, something to do with it. I mean, I was watching them in Boston. You yeah. know, they were losing to the yeah. Washington Nationals, mm-hmm. and then they had to go um, win a wild card game to even get in. And too, then so. they had to win a wild card to get here. Yeah, now they're going to be playing in the uh, you know the ALCS. So we're going to see either the Astros for my money, and maybe Washington just has that sort of magic look to them or something, but I still think the best team I've seen in the postseason so far in the American League has been the Astros. They seem the most complete anyway. Um, that'll be a hell of a series. A lot of bats on both sides there. Yeah, game four is this afternoon since it got rained out on That's Monday. right. So that's right. one thirty or something, I think, today. White Sox and, and Astros, yeah, yep. playing game four. So that series is uh, 2-1 Houston. 
long way to go, but a, disapp- a disappointing season for Rays and their fans, and and uh, and an entertaining one. I was going to say it was a fun season. I mean, and seeing one. some of the oh, records yeah. and some of the young players coming up and and growing up, and I mean, you know, look, I was entertained all summer by the team. No question. I mean, it, you know, it. it but they, isn't that was isn't that what makes it more disappointing if you're a fan? Mm-hmm. That you had such high expectations that that you know a team that did what they did during the regular season would certainly advance beyond the but, first but, round. But isn't it great that three four years ago we thought you know they were tanking the team and going to lose a hundred games, and now we've got the expectations of they win a hundred games, lose in the ALDS, and you're disappointed. Yeah, well, they're not the cute little underdog no. story anymore. I mean, they're now the hunted, and mm-hmm. that was that was obvious in this game that you know or this series that. They came in as the as the team to beat in the American League, and they're going home that way as well, um, unfortunately. So, man, tough season. Let's wrap it up on this because we've got Ed, Eduardo Encino to talk about the Lightning's opening night uh, as they raise their second Stanley Cup banner. As one season Emily ends, Arena. another one begins. That's right. It's That's right. <laughs> there's, a, there's a very circle of life there. It's the <laughs> circle. The circle of Champa Bay. This could start, by the way, the eroding of uh, of such uh, title town USA that we've been in. You know, we can have nice things, but for how much longer, I should say. Um, so, yeah, in addition to, of course, the Lightning um, opening their season, some, some really disturbing stuff. Um, more fallout from the emails apparently sent by John Gruden to Bruce Allen as far back as 10 years ago. Uh, we heard some of the comments that uh, he allegedly made and some of the racial tropes uh, directed at uh, NFL Players Association Executive Director DeMar Smith. Um, that got a lot of attention. The Raiders lost on Monday Night Football. He apologized to his team, to his owner, to everybody um, uh, around the game, uh, before the game, then after the game, said he was done talking about it. Well, low about, uh, I don't know, Halfway through this baseball game on Monday night, the word comes down that there is a New York Times story, which you're free to read. Uh, and it is uh, more emails from John Gruden to Bruce Allen, his former GM at the time, the GM of the Washington uh, then football team. And uh, they included homophobic, misogynistic, uh, all kinds of remarks, some um from emails not just to Bruce Allen, but they're also copied to people like Jim McVeigh of the Outback Bowl and Nick Reeder, who is the CEO of um, of PDQ, and um, you know Ed Drosty, who who you know used to own Hooters, and so there's some a, a, a real real Tampa flavor in here. But these are not things that um, we can repeat on this podcast necessarily disparaging remarks uh, made against a lot of people, including reporters, including the owner of the Buccaneers, Brian Glazer. And that's where this thing gets kind of like sticky when you when you really think about Gruden, who still lives here. Um, they were building a bit house in Las Vegas, but he still lives, kept his home in Avila. I assume that's where he'll be coming back to, uh, to live in Tampa. And some very disturbing and graphic things about the Bucks owner and Brian Glazer. And remember, this is a coach that won their first Super Bowl, their first Lombardi trophy for the Buccaneers as coach of the Buccaneers. They made the trade with the Oakland, then Oakland Raiders for Gruden, two ones, two twos, $8 million. They win a Super Bowl. Um, His name 
is in the Ring of Honor, and his statue, his statue is in the lobby, and yet the thing he said about the, you know Bucks owner Brian Glazer, I just wonder like what will their what will the reaction be to the Bucks uh, as they read these sort of hurtful comments, and so the fallout on this is just beginning. I mean, we're going to learn a lot more about the situation. He did go shortly after the New York Times story was published. He did go to owner. Mark Davis, and apparently some settlement was reached because he then resigned. And the new interim head coach of the Oakland, or Oakland, he listened to me, of the Las Vegas Raiders is Rich Passaccia, the longtime special teams coach for Gruden, pretty much everywhere he's been since he returned um, to the NFL. So Rich Passaccia will be the interim coach. It is a fall, a precipitous fall, of a guy that we know all too well um, and I think in the coming weeks and months we'll find out, you know, uh, who else that this that this may may capture Pete, you know, may capture because the whole thing was it was it was a bunch of emails taken from then Redskins president uh, or COO Bruce Allen, uh, and yet we know this that like Daniel Snyder is still free to own the Washington Football Team, and all the things that had gone on in that organization still supposedly under investigation. Um, you know, and yet they had all these emails because Bruce Allen was part of that, uh, look by the NFL. You wonder where the leaks came from. Um, but there's going to be more in the, in the coming days. And a lot of it involves people right here in Tampa Bay, not surprisingly. So just, uh, just an incredible story. Um, and, and, and a, and a terrible fall for a guy that, like I said, meant so much, uh, to the Buccaneers and to Bucks fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, the Tampa Bay Lightning try to go back to back to back. Can they three-peat? Unbelievable success there uh, for the Lightning. We're going to talk about it with Eduardo Encina, who covers the Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times. Eduardo, uh, before we get started... John Cooper rewarded with a, a new three-year deal. Your thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, um, you know, he woke up at about eight thirty today and got a release saying that that he was back for extended for another three years. I mean, I think this one's important because uh, you know it's kind of out of the way before the season starts, and you know the way Cooper was talking about it, it wasn't really any question whether you know his future here, and obviously for good reason, you know. But um, you know, it is interesting because. Uh, you know, last time he signed an extension back in 19, it was, uh, you know, at the end of the year. And we know what happened in that 18, what was it, 18, 19, 1920, 1920 year um, mm-hmm. when they had the president's trophy, the pre- won the president's trophy and they got knocked out in the first round. But so now, you know, none of that stuff, everyone's signed, everyone's sealed, everyone's delivered. And starting tomorrow night, they can just play hockey. So uh, none of, no, no worries about last year of contracts, you know, Breezeball and Cooper are going to be back for uh, for the long term, and uh, you know that's one big thing about this franchise is that they've had a lot of uh, continuity and uh, a lot of stability. So um, I think that that's a pretty big thing. 
Well, it is, and you mentioned the continuity, and we'll get into some of the guys that uh, that inevitably they they had to lose, like Yanni Gord uh, to the expansion yeah. draft and things like that. But for the most part, I mean, the top two lines, your your top five defensemen, the first power play union, and oh yeah, our unit, and oh by the way, Vassy, the greatest goaltender in the world. They're all back, and so if continuity means everything, uh, and it should in, in professional sports, I mean, wouldn't they then be, as defending champions two times over, the favorites to to possibly do it again? I know this is we're, we're on the brink of, of some kind of history here doing it three years in a row at this at this right. era of hockey, but, I mean, who who is better than them at this point? Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're talking to these guys, and, you know, it's it's funny because you do sense, like, you know, just, just kind of a, a confidence about them. You know, they, they've, they've done it. They know the process, you know, the whole, you know, process over outcome kind of thing that, that Cooper's preached, you know, over the past few years. And, uh, you know, they've seen it work not once, but twice. So um, in two very different kind of situations, obviously. So, um, you know, they're a confident group. They're, they're kind of just very businesslike, cool under pressure. And, I don't think they really see too much pressure in this. You know, um, they know how to get there. They know how to get the job done. Like you said, they they've they've lost some key pieces. But um, you know, you heard Steven Samco say a couple of days ago, or maybe it was like a week ago or so. Just, like you said, you know, top six forwards are back. Um, you know, the power play unit's back. Uh, you know, the, the 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 you know the defensive core for the most part is entirely back. And you know, the big thing, like you said, is when number eighty-eight is between the pipes. Uh, you've always got a shot. So um, they like their chances right now. And, you know, they're, they're probably going to face a little bit bigger bullseye on their on their backs because uh, what they're chasing and what they've done. But, um, you know, I don't think that bothers this team at all. It's it's pretty interesting to see how, how they kind of operate because it's a very uh, yeoman-like attitude uh, with them. And you haven't heard them say the, the three-peat word at all. You haven't talk, heard them talk about the dynasty word at all. Um, and I, I think they're just ready to get back to work now. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, the thing that's going to be different about this year, of course, other than a, a shorter, it seems, off season, is that they're back now to playing all 31 other teams, which means travel, right. which means uh, the old division. So how would that impact the season? And I, and I got to believe that um, that has to be an enjoyable thing for them, right? I mean, no, nothing against – seeing Florida, Carolina, and, and those guys, you know, uh, as many times as they did. And I think it kind of, you know, built a little bit of rivalry there uh, with the, you know, with Florida. But um, this is hockey the way hockey should be, right? Travel, old divisions, the whole deal. Yeah, I, I think they're looking forward to that. And I think they're looking forward to, to proving that, you know, they can do this with, with the normal schedule, you know, with the, uh, you know, going back to those division rivals, going through those same teams that they've gone through for, for many years before COVID and, you know, just kind of getting back to normal, getting back to, uh, like you said, that the, the regular schedule and, you know, playing everyone, you know, I think it was uh, last year was, was tough just because, um, you know, you really didn't have too much of a gauge of yourself against any other team, except the seven teams that you played eight times. So um, I think it'll be, I think it's a little bit more, this year is going to be a little bit more fun for everyone following hockey because you'll, you'll be able to have those natural conversations about, you know, how did these guys match up against those guys and, you know, who, who looks like what and everyone getting to play against each other. So um, I think that that's something that everyone kind of embraces, everyone who follows the game. And I think these guys in, in the locker room embrace it too, because, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's back to normal and it's back to kind of the, the way that, that uh, you know, that the, the, the season should go and the way everyone kind of planned it. 
you know, you never know what guys are dealing with, right? Like last year, uh, I mean, this hockey team made it through the regular season without, you know, their greatest player in, in Nikita Kucherov, right? Um, now he has an entire season, an entire regular season, where, you know, hopefully he begins the year healthy. And, and also Victor Hedman, who, um, you know, look, he was hurting with uh, with his knee injury um, in March of last year. He had the surgery. So how much better does he look? And, and what I mean, just the idea of having, you know, those two at their peak, at least to start the season, is certainly inviting. Yeah, so, you know, when you look at Hedman, I noticed right away, you know, first couple of days of training camp that he looked a lot different than he did, you know, those mm. last three three months of, of, of last season. And, you know, you could tell last season he was basically, you know, he wasn't jumping in as, as much on the rust or jumping in plays on the offensive zone. And he was almost just kind of protecting himself. And, you know, part of that was, too, was the kind of teams that they were playing in the postseason with Florida and Carolina. You know, you don't want to – you want to keep those guys in front of you and not let them get behind you. And when you're dealing with something physical, you're probably, you know, you're going to, you're going to take a little bit more precautions and, and you don't want to get beat. So um, just from right away, I think everyone who, who really saw this team close up last year and this year, you could tell a incredible difference between Victor Hedman now and, and what we saw at the end of last season. And obviously he grinded through that and still was a, a major factor in, in the Stanley Cup winning team, but he, he looks really different now. And like you said, you mentioned Kucherov, um, you know, that, that power play unit as it's intended to be designed is back. You know, Steven Samkos missed a month last year and you know, actually had, you know, a, a, a minor knee procedure before the postseason last year. We actually just learned that a couple of days ago. Um, and, you know, so, so he had missed some time too. So everyone's healthy. And that's probably the biggest thing that's different this year is, that you know, yes, they they're, they're missing some key pieces, but you know, all these guys are healthy. And yes, this team is a year a year older, but you know, the the, the core is all back. So um, I think that that that's another reason for optimism. This team is that you know, it is amazing when you really think of it that you know they did have. They, there's very few teams that um, you know we we can talk about 18 million over the cap and we can talk about all that stuff, but there's still very few teams that would have you know advance to the playoffs minus their their top player and arguably one of those best players in the game you know as a whole so um they they, they've got their whole group back and you know i think they're all really excited about that and you know you add in a couple new pieces that i think have really kind of uh you know fit in very nicely and very seamlessly uh so far and you know i think every all those guys are really excited it's 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 a different feel to this team a little bit in that sense but um, still kind of the same vibe that, uh, you know, they, they have that confidence that, that they can get back and, and do something pretty special. Well, there's always something new, uh, Ed, with each team. And in this one, I guess you'd have to talk about some of the rookies that have made it. I mean, and this is obviously a, a veteran, largely veteran team. So so let's talk about that. Uh, Taylor Radish, um, not Alex uh, Barry Belay, who, uh, Barry Belay, who was claimed by Seattle. Um, who else do they have that, that we'd be looking for new tonight? Yes, yeah, so a couple guys, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, these are guys who, you know, within the organization are well-known because uh, you right. know, they came up through, you know, through they, they, they played a couple years in the AHL with, with Syracuse and, and kind of done their time there, so to speak, you know, and, and, and really have nothing else to prove at that AHL level. And we're talking about Radish um, and, and Boris Kachuk, two, the two rookies who, who made this team, you know, for, for on the opening, right, opening night roster. And, you know, these guys are just really – I think, you know, the staff and in the front office knew what these guys 
could do. And they did everything to kind of impress him in the preseason. And, you know, it, the preseason was really kind of a six, seven game tryout for those guys. And, and, and they, they did really well. Um, so, you know, like you said, there's this team, there haven't been too many open spots. You know, it's, it's been tough to crack for a lot of guys in the past. And these guys are kind of right time, right time, right place. And they're going to get some opportunities to play. Um, you know, I would assume that one of those guys, maybe Radish, is in the lineup, you know, t- tomorrow night. And that, that's pretty cool to think of, you know, the, of, of a guy who, you know, has, has kind of come up within the player development system. It is really a, a testament to the Lightning's player development system. They, they, they don't get very much recognition for that, you know, because they, they trade a lot of their true draft picks away and, you know, right. stuff like that. But, but they do, they are, have been really good at developing some of these guys. And, um, you know, Radish, Kachuk, those are two guys that, to really kind of keep an eye on. Um, and, you know, th- th- that's, that, that's, that's kind of a, a, a big thing here. And, and they're going to need them because, you know, those guys are probably going to be asked to, they might not be asked to play a lot of even strength minutes, but I think they'll be asked to, to help out on the, on the penalty kill. That's where, you know, you lost a lot of guys there. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're really going to be asked to, to do some things there. So um, it, it's definitely something to watch. And uh, both of those guys definitely, definitely earned their, their spot on, on this roster. Exactly. And, and uh, now that you have, uh, you know, lost some players like Yanni Gord, who we mentioned, you now have a, a, a new center for the third line, which is Ross Colton or Ross Golton, as they called him, or as my 12 year old daughter who's in love calls him, you know, hottie, whatever. I mean, it's like <laughs> this, this guy has a bright future on and off the ice, but um, he showed a lot of stuff last year and this is a hell of an opportunity for him. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, you know, now they're going to give him the opportunity to center, you know, that third line. And, you know, he, he's, he's essentially replacing Yanni Gord as that third line center, but, you know, they know that he's not going to, you know, necessarily be Yanni Gord. You know, Yanni Gord is a player that's really hard to, to replicate the way he plays. So, but the, the big thing about, about Ross Colton is that he's a guy who's really kind of been a sponge since day one here. And, He's really benefited from kind of the veteran guys around him. He learned a lot from Pat Maroon playing on that fourth line. And even already, he's learned a lot from, from playing alongside Corey Perry. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we'll see how the lines work out. But, um, you know, for, for a good part of, of the preseason, you know, he was centering a line and he had Steven Stamkos on one side and Corey Perry on the other side. So for a, you know, 24, 25-year-old guy who's looking to make that next step, you probably can't ask for for better help than, than having those two guys on, on either side. So, you know, Stamkos might still be with that second line back with, with Kalorn and Sorelli and, you know, maybe Matthew Joseph comes back to that line. He's played a lot with Matthew Joseph in the past. Um, but yeah, Ross Colton is, is an exciting guy to watch. And, you know, Cooper said today, I asked him about Colton and he was saying about how, you know, he, he reminded him a lot of, of Yanni Gordon his first year. So wow. that's obviously an interesting comparison to have. And I think the thing now is, you know, we talk about getting back to a full season. We talk about kind of, you know, getting over, you know, your your second year kind of sophomore, you know, sophomore potential slump that, you know, everyone's kind of adjusting to. They know a little bit more about you and, and, and just kind of getting through that. So that's kind of his next step. But they've got a lot of faith in this kid. And, you know, there's a lot of reason to, to be excited about him. And he's, you know, he's always kind of been this guy who has a knack for, performing in big moments and whether that was, you know, scoring on, I think his in his debut on his first or second shift in the NHL, or obviously, as we all know, you know, scoring the game winning goal in a cup clinching game. Um, he's been there. He's always kind of been in the middle of it when it matters most. So 
um, like, like you say, it's, it's pretty interesting to see his development even over the course of the, the past, uh, you know, the past year or so. And, you know, he's also kind of an example. We can go back to those guys like, like Radish and, and, and Kachuk, like, you know, again, there haven't been that many opportunities for young guys to break this roster. And, you know, the, the success that Ross Colton had last year is an example to some of those younger guys that, you know, hey, you know, you do what he did. You're a sponge. You work hard. You know, you're responsible. You know, you you, you push the puck forward. You you play in the dirty area, stuff like that. And you know, you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get rewarded. And that def, that's definitely an example there with, with everything that happened with Colton last year. You know, not not too many additions in in terms of guys outside the organization, but one that was interesting because they played him last year in the final was Corey Perry. And I and I saw there was a I think the one of the Florida games when they got in one of these fights. Perry was right in the middle of it. And I don't think there's a better way to ingratiate yourself with your own player, your new team, than to go and, and, and jump on the pile, right? I mean, that, that was a good moment for him. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny, Rick, because, you know, last year one of Corey Perry's jobs was to just basically, you know, blanket and irritate Nikita Kucherov in the, in the, <laughs> right. in the, in the, in the Stanley Cup final. Right. And now, you know, they're teammates. And I asked Nikita when we were talking to him in the preseason about that, and he's like, Listen, even I can learn from this guy. You know, he does so many different things. And, you know, we always talk about kind of how he can, you know, they call him the worm because he can yeah. slither into, you know, in front of the net and create mm-hmm. some some trouble, you know, in the crease. And he can, you know, be kind of that 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 irritating guy, too, for an opponent. So, but, um, you know, the one thing that, that everyone always talks about is that, you know, if you, if you follow this game, you know, this guy scored 50 goals at one point not too, not super long ago. You know, so he can score goals. He has that knack around the net. And every, the one thing that everyone talks about still, and, you know, he's not a spring chicken anymore, but how his hands are just incredible. And I think we saw that. I think it was one of the last games of the preseason where, you know, he cleaned up, a, you know, a loose puck around the net and scored a goal. And then he, he, he scored another goal with just this. He had a breakaway. Mikhail Sergachev gave him a great pass, you know, through the zone. And he just made this amazing play, kind of deked. Uh, Spencer Knight, you know, the Panthers goaltender, you know, with a forehand and then beat him, you know, backhand like across the goal near post. So uh, he can still do some pretty like amazing things with the stick. And I think he's really just he he fits. And it's it's funny because the two big guys who they got, who they brought in and they didn't cost much. And as we know, they really couldn't pay much because of the, cal- the, the salary cap. And that's Corey Perry and Pierre-Edouard Belmar. These are two mm-hmm. guys who are veteran guys who just seem to fit. They 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 play like as as Julian Breezewell says a lot, like they're bolts, you know. And these guys fit that mold. They they play a certain way. They're not afraid to get dirty, and and they play just such a two way a strong two way game. And those two guys have just meshed with this with on the ice and in the room so seamlessly. And I think that's kind of a credit to to these guys too. They didn't have much, much, you know, money to work with here, you know, right, right. and, and, and they managed to get two guys that they knew were really going to fit in their room. And I asked, I asked Cooper a few weeks ago and I said, you know, uh, you know, you, you see a guy like Corey Perry, you see everything he does as an opponent, but then when you're on, when you see him every day and he's in, in your uniform, you mm-hmm. see more. And he was like, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, you see so much more of what a guy can do. And then you also see how well he fits in with what your system is and everything that you try to do on a daily basis. So I think that's really interesting, too. And that's something that, that probably won't get talked about as much as it should 
but just that they've, it seems that they've managed to find guys to fit the right places and just fit in the room so well. And that's not, that doesn't really happen all the time with such a veteran team, but it seems like, you know, as, at least as of now, that that's, you know, it's just been this seamless transition for both of those guys. They fit in so well so far. And that was important because they've, these guys have played together and enjoy playing together yeah. a lot. Um, the penalty kill, I imagine some of those guys will be involved in that. You lose some key pieces. We mentioned Gord before, but obviously uh, Barclay Goudreau and, and, and Coleman. Um, so some of those same guys that you were just mentioning would have to step up in those areas, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously you mentioned the names, you know, Gord, Goodrow, Coleman. You know, you lose three of your top four, uh, you know, penalty-killing forwards there. Um, You know, this is going to be an important year for Matthew Joseph because Mm -hmm. I think he's going to get that along with Belmar, who's, again, he's a guy who um, does a lot of good little things, a fourth-line guy probably, but, you know, he's going to play along the penalty kill. Him and and Joseph have have basically been been paired as that kind of – number one PK unit that would probably, you know, if you're, if you're matching up kind of replaces, uh, you know, Goodrow and, and Coleman. Um, and then, you know, you're going to see again, the, the pairing of, of, of Kalorn and, and Sorelli, those guys work so well together, no matter what they're doing, like whether they're sharing a line or, or they're, they're working the penalty kill. And then you're going to see again, you know, going back to the, some of those rookies, you're going to see, um, you know, probably a guy like Kachuk and, and Radish in, in getting penalty kill minutes along with Colton. So a lot of guys who are getting, you know, kind of making that next step, some of those young guys, you know, and, and they're going to need them because, you know, that, that PK unit was such a big part of their success. And um, last year and, and you know, over the past two years, um, you know, you, you can't necessarily replace those guys because they do so many different things, but, um, you know, I, I do like, you know, kind of the way that they're filling these spots. You know, like you said, I think the biggest thing there is Matthew Joseph, you know, on that first PK unit. Um, we, we all know the skill that he has. We all know he's one of the fastest guys on the ice. He's still kind of learning how to use his speed the right way. Um, but I think he's kind of, you know, he's starting to return into a more responsible player. And he's going to need to be that, you know, to really kind of excel in that penalty kill. And uh, I'll, I'll kind of let you go on this one. You know, uh, the Lightning are going for a three-peat, which uh, is a word they probably won't use, but um, mm-hmm. the guy that's going for his fourth straight Stanley Cup is Pat Maroon, yeah. who suddenly looks a little different. He's lost some of that <laughs> boiler, man. Like, uh, we're used to seeing him with, you know, a little bit more uh, a belly bumping, but uh, he's also gone out and scored four goals in the preseason. So what's up with Marooney? Yeah, he's um he's coming to camp and and you know we, we noticed right away when we first saw him that you know and it and it's different when you see these guys you know in uniform with pads oh, and, yeah. and all this other stuff and you know but, but when we saw him for the first time when we talked to him we were like man you you look a little 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 more svelte and you know he was um you know he told us that, that you know he'd been training a little bit you know better and getting back to like his pre-covid ways and even back to his days and in Edmonton and Anaheim, you know, the way he was training in the off season. And, um, you know, he scored a couple goals the other night and those are, those are both on the power play. And I, and you know, that second power play, even as much as the first one gets talked about a lot, you know, that, that second one's going to be really important too. They don't get the minutes obviously that that first team does, and they, nor, nor do they get the attention, but you know, that's again, you know, that's going to be one with Anthony Sorelli there, Sergachev, uh, Palat, uh, Maroon and, and Perry and Maroon and Perry played together in Anaheim for, you know, a few years and even shared a line together. So 
those guys uh, know each other pretty well and, and uh, it didn't take much for them to kind of get used to each other because they were kind of pairing up on, on a couple of those goals this preseason. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see that. But, uh, yeah, Pat's, Pat's an important part of this team. He's not going to be one of those guys that, you know, plays, you know, you know, 15, 18 minutes a game. But uh, he's important in so many ways, both on and off the ice. You know, like I said, he was a big part of, of helping uh, Ross Colton get used to, you know, everything. and just kind of keeps staying in his ear and telling him to trust his game. He's here for a reason. And he, he plays a big part in that. He's a, he's a big brother to a lot of those young guys. Um, but and, and of course, he's the first one to jump in when a team when when, when the opportunity presents itself to to defend a teammate. So um, he is uh, Pat Burns a really important guy on this team, and he has been. And there's there's really uh, you know when you think about all that, there's no wonder that he just seems to be on uh, on Stanley Cup winning teams lately. And nobody uh, has played uh, later into the season than Tampa Bay Rays the last two years, and it seems like a shorter off season. So, are, are there concerns? Will they manage minutes? Like, how are, are there any worries that you know this this could be a hockey team that that now has to survive? Um, you know, the full schedule, like we mentioned before. I don't know. You can't really manage this, but it's gonna be. It could be a story, right? Yeah. No, I mean, like, I think it's a story, and it's a story probably for these guys more than other teams because, like you said, they they played so deep into the season in the past. You know, really not even talking about years. We're talking about thirteen months. You know what I mean? Yeah. I really right. Think about right. It. But um, I think you know one thing too is, you know, the this year, you know, with, with the NHL players playing the Olympics in February, there is an inherent three-week span there where players who don't participate in the Olympics get off, right? They're, they're off. They can do whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, with the Lightning, probably about <laughs> 10 or ten or 11 players are going to play in the Olympics. And mm-hmm. so then, you know, I, I think that's kind of a big thing, especially with guys like Vasilevsky. You know, we know how much time he's played. We know, yeah. um, you know, over the past you know, two postseasons and two regular seasons. But, um, you know, those are really intense games, too. I mean, you uh, you know, the, the, a lot of these guys have played in World Cups and World Championships and stuff like that. But for a lot of them, it, it's the first time they've actually been able to play in the Olympics. A guy like Victor Hedman, this is his first Olympics. You know, Steven Stamkos wants to wow. have a chance to play to represent Team Canada. Um, mm. You know, and, and, and Vasilevsky, he's played in, in World Championships, um, but he's never played in Olympics before. So um, these are going to be high-intensity uh, games for those guys. Um, going to Beijing, um, I wouldn't... I wouldn't be surprised if some of those guys skip the all-star game um, because that's right before the Olympics. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that's a kind of a big concern is that you have this season that's kind of has this big break in it for, for the Olympics. And, you know, how do you, I think that Mar- the, that last week of February and first week of March is really going to be important for them. And you're really thinking ahead here, but you know, how how do they kind of get back into into a rhythm? Because there's going to be so many guys who are who have, are participating. Like I said, it, it might be uh, you know nine, ten, eleven guys who are participating, which is obviously you know half their roster basically. And not to mention, you know, John Cooper is going to be coaching Team Canada in the Olympics too. So yeah, you know, he's, right. going to, he's going to have those duties. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they come back from that because no doubt um, that's. You know, while everyone else is resting and, and getting ready for you know the stretch run of the hockey season, they're playing in really, really intense games half the world away, and then coming back and, and finishing up the season. So I think that's probably might be one of the biggest 
questions as to how the Lightning are able to deal with that because I don't think there's there's not going to be too many teams that are going to be as effective roster wise as they are by the Olympics. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, a grind for sure, but something that's going to be fun to watch. Of course, the Lightning going after being back to back, trying to win their third straight Stanley Cup, which is just remarkable. But they're going to raise the banner today. Uh, at Emily Arena, and Eduardo Encina will be there for the Tampa Bay Times and bring you all the coverage all year long on TampaBay.com. Thanks, buddy, Cop. We appreciate it. Anytime, buddy, Cop, 10-4. It was an unbelievable week of college football. I'm telling you, from the time I turned on the tube with Oklahoma and Texas, the Red River rivalry, Old Miss and Arkansas, then you went into the night with Texas A&M's upset of Alabama. What a week for college football. We'll be able to talk to Matt Baker, all about it on the podcast tomorrow. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. If, uh, as they say, if not the outcome of the Rays game uh, and their season ending a little too soon with the uh, 3-1 series loss to the Boston Red Sox. But for Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Time. Have a great day, everybody. 